0: We're going to move on to our uh, third tool for today. Um, let's just do a recap of, of the tools that we've learned so far. Just so when we leave here and our friends tomorrow at church ask us, what have what, missed it? Tell me, what are some tools I can put in my tool belt? You'll say, well, we started off with this thing called staying on the line, which is what? what what's that principle? What's that conviction? Don't add or take away from what God says because a lot's at stake. You can die. That's right. (laughs) Well, and we know we all will die, but we have eternal life in Christ, right? And so that's what what we would aim for is eternal life in Christ. And then after we learned about what's at stake to to do the hard work of studying well, um, we got a really helpful tool called context, which is what? them then us now them then us now okay let's flesh that out how does it help us in our study we got the original. Yeah, we have to understand how the original audience understood a text so that we can understand it for us today. We can't just jump from 1 Corinthians 13 or Jeremiah 29:11 and just apply it to our lives immediately. We have to see it in context with the words around the text, the literary context, and the world around the text, the history behind it. If we understand that, how the original audience got it, well, it's going to have such a fuller, correct meaning for us today. Uh, So those are two tools that we need to put into play when we come to study the Bible. This tool is going to highlight something that we actually have to put out of play when we approach Scripture. So lots we need to put into play, but there's some things that we need to put out of play. So this is called text and framework. And I'll start this off just with an illustration. Sometimes when we come to the Bible... We use it the way a drunk man uses a light post. A drunk man uses a light post more for support than for illumination, more than for what The light post is supposed to do. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we use it to lean on it, to support us, what we want to think about it, rather than letting it do its job, illuminate for us what is there. So let me give an example of this. I was at a conference recently where I heard a lot of different sermons, and one sermon in particular was very moving about church membership, about local church membership, that we... As Christians, as believers, we need to be committed to the local church. And he had a Bible text that he used to support him in that endeavor. I really wish he would have used perhaps 1 Corinthians 12, talking about how we're members of one body. But he didn't use that. He used, of all texts, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does anybody know the context of Ephesians 5.25? What what would you think of, what, what is that text about? It's about marriage. Is it about church membership? It has nothing to do with, we just did it in our discipleship group, didn't we? Yeah. It has nothing to do with church membership. But this man had a framework, church membership. And he needed a text. So he thought he'd use Ephesians 5, 25, because it talked about the value of the local church, that Christ died for the local church, and that the local church has life in Jesus Christ, so the church is victorious. It was very winsome, it was very convincing, it had a lot of true things in it, but it wasn't that text meaning at all. He needed to put something out of play. He needed to let the text speak over his framework. So here's the picture that goes along. Well, there's a picture of the drunk man on the on the lamppost, but another way we can think of this is we can, we have a text and we need to have the text shape our framework. What we tend to do is we have frameworks and the framework shapes the text, but that's what we, we want to put that out of play. We don't want to do that. We want the text to shape it, to shape um, our frameworks. Now, that gentleman's framework was quite helpful, right? Church membership. And he had, I could use another word for a framework that I could use the word agenda. He had an agenda, perhaps. He had a bias. Um... He went into the text with that idea. Now there's other frameworks that we have, other influences, biases that we have, that we can't help that we have it. Um, I'm a woman, so when I approach scripture, I'm going to read it as a woman. I'm not going to read it as a man would read it. So different things may come out because I'm a woman and I'm not a man. Or even in this room here today, so we're all women, but in this room we have various cultures that are represented. Just your culture, how you were brought up, will influence how you read scripture or how you apply it, how you interpret it. So, for example, Christy used to be a missionary in Rwanda, right? Let's imagine that before she became a missionary in Rwanda, she went to her parents and she said, Parents, I want to do this missionary work in Rwanda, and her parents said, no way. We don't want you to go that far. That's too dangerous. You're not going. So she comes to me and she goes to Shainu, people of two different cultures, two different backgrounds, and says, what should I do? My parents don't want me to become a missionary. Well, as I've learned from Shainu, she's helped me with this. Shainu would probably respond to Christy with, well, why don't you tell us? what, What would you say? How should she respond to her parents? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you should honor them. And, uh, go God or them. You know, something. So you, mark, you might quote something we read earlier today in Mark 7, verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. So maybe, perhaps, she'd get advice from her um, friend, Shainu, who's from an Asian cultural background that would say, honor your parents. Where if she came to me, I might say, well, you know what Jesus said in Luke? If anyone comes to me, to Jesus, and you don't hate your own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, you cannot be my disciple. Right? I mean, we're both Christians. We both love Christy. We both want her to honor the Lord with her time. And yet we're using scripture in various ways just because of how we were brought up. Right? And I mean, it's no fault of our own because we can't choose how how we're, you know, what family that we're brought up in. And yet we need to subtly figure out how we can put those ideas out. Out of play and really let the text shine. we in other words, we'll never get rid of our frameworks. I will never stop being Colleen McFadden. I will never stop having the influences and experiences that I have. It, that hopefully, but but hopefully the text will continually shape my frameworks. So I think I have the actual. Here we go. We must let the Bible shape our frameworks rather than letting our frameworks shape our understanding of the Bible. So this is, we're trying to put the frameworks out of play so that the text can truly shine. How about you just talk with the person next to you really quick so we're really figuring this out together, and share what you think could be a framework you have that you bring to scripture. We've already given you some cultural backgrounds, agendas, your, your gender. Um, why don't you talk to the person next to you and just share what influences you think you impose on to the text. Is that clear? Yeah? So go ahead and share with the person next to you. Okay, some of us had a chance to share what our frameworks are. Why don't we come back together as a group and share some of those with everybody? I, you probably didn't each have a chance to share, and I'm sure we could share our life stories. <laughs> Everything in life contributes to this. Um, what are just some, some thoughts that you had, if you can even put them in general categories that that are frameworks that we bring to the text to interpret it, uh, to, well, misinterpret it, really. Morgan? General, stage of life, Your stage of life. Your stage of life is really going to affect, I mean, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for I know the plans that I have for you, for on a graduation card, that means one thing, and someone on their deathbed, it means something else. But you're going to bring, like, whether you like it or not, it's just a reality of life, what stage you are. Yep. That's a good one. What else? Political Your political framework. So what what name one or name something that would contribute to that So you can, have, you can have Christians on opposite sides of the aisle look at the same scripture and they're just bringing those, that worldview, the political agenda to the text and they'll have different interpretations, right? Whereas Christians, we should just let the text speak itself because there's one meaning, there's one understanding. It can't, it can't mean uh, multiple things to multiple people. That's uh, the postmodern view of reading scripture, that it can mean whatever you want it to mean. But it doesn't. It means one thing. It means don't eat the fruit from that one tree. I mean, really, it, there's, there's, there's one meaning. Okay, what other frameworks, agendas? Yeah. Your emotions, Your emotions how you're feeling. Absolutely. That just changes daily or within the day, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I can read scripture in the morning and say I need something encouraging, and then halfway through the day I need something corrective. Or Right, that's good. That's, just depending on how we feel that day. There's one over here. Mary. What's your theology of scripture? So, at a basic level, do you believe that it is without error? Well, then I'm going to really work to find out what it says, what it means. Or do I believe it has errors? Or perhaps... um, uh, Another example. Yeah, give another theological one. I grew up in a church that did not believe that um, prophecies, speaking in tongues, were true. And so I was kind of schooled in this, what they call, sensational theology, cessationist meaning things stopped at a certain time. And so when I would read scripture, I would use scripture to support that those things had stopped. Hmm. and then, That you can no longer prophesy or speak in tongues. And then years later, I was like, is that true? And so I removed that framework or put it behind me and started to see other nuances to hmm. scripture that I had never seen before hmm. because I was like, I can only see with this certain theology hmm. is teaching. Mm-hmm. So it's almost as though with these frameworks, agendas, influences, it's almost like we put on glasses, right, that we're looking through, that we think the glasses are actually making it clearer when in a way they're, they're distorting it. We need to take off those glasses and just see the text, the plain text, recognizing we still have those glasses in our homes, we still have them, but we need to, as much as possible, just see the text plainly for what it is. Um, do you want to try this in a text to see how we can go? We're we're, gonna, we're having fun now since it's the, it's the end. We're going to do it the wrong way, okay? We're going we're to not do it the right way, but do it the wrong way. Um, let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark again. Let's go to chapter four. Let's go to the end of the chapter. And we're, well, we heard this uh, preached on in our Mark series, but the end of chapter four is the story of Jesus calming a storm. Um, There is, there's one framework that I think is one of the biggest frameworks that at least we as Christian women impose on the text a lot. Um, And. For right reason, I get why we do it. And I like to call it the K-Love framework. It's the positive, positive, encouraging. Yeah, I want to come to scripture and find something positive and encouraging. That's why God gave me the Bible, to lift me up. I, I, I need to be lifted up. I want something positive, encouraging out of this story. So I'm going to go to the calming of this storm with Jesus Can someone read that aloud for us? It's only six or seven verses here. So starting at verse 35, going to the end of the chapter, who can read that for us? Morgan, you want to? On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, if we were to impose a love, positive encouraging framework on this text, what would we get out of it? God's going to take care of everything. How do you know? Because he calms the storm. That's right. You know, if we just invite Jesus into our boat, we'll have smooth sailing. Smooth seas. Debbie. It's going to happen instantly. We're just going to say, don't you care, Jesus? We're parents. I'm... I'm drowning here. I mean, some of us feel like that every day, right? I am drowning here. Jesus, will you come help me? And he just needs to wake up and he says one word, peace, be still, and it's done. Everything is calm. Right. I and I, I love how some of us are like laughing about this, like haha, because we've heard a sermon on this, so perhaps we know what the true meaning of the text is. But we do this way more often than we think. And I'm making this maybe a more obvious one so that in the few minutes we're doing it we come to the conclusion very quickly. But we we do this with lots of scripture. Okay, what in the text itself though betrays this positive, encouraging framework. What in the text itself in this story betrays that? They were afraid at the end. Where, where do you see that? What does it say? Uh, verse what verse? 41. Verse 41? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? In my version, which I'm using the English Standard Version, the, the word choice here is very interesting because um, it was in Uh, let's see, it's in verse, um, well, I guess it's what Jesus says to them. They wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And in verse 39, he says, peace, be still, and the wind sees and there's a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Like, why are you afraid that you had to wake me up? And what the the immediate response to that question is not just being afraid, but, being more afraid. They've, they were filled with a great fear, like really afraid. Like I have Jesus in my boat and that terrifies me that I've got somebody that can control the wind and the waves. Now we don't have time to get into, just listen to a Jay sermon on this text to get into the fullness of application, but how quickly we can see that when we take the text I guess, whoops, sorry, guys. When we take our framework and impose it on the text, we get something very different than when we just look at what the text says itself to really shine and have it um, shape our immediate framework, then. Because, boy, I feel a lot safer that I've got the Son of God on my side versus just someone in my boat that's going to help me go along. Questions, impressions? We're going to do another example, but just based on that right there. Like, have you done this before? I've done this before. Yeah. I guess I'm always left with more questions than for Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so if they weren't afraid, were they all just supposed to be on, feeling excited about salvation? Yeah. Right. Were they not supposed to wake him up? Yeah. But maybe it was that they were like, don't you care? Right. Of course he cares. Maybe they were supposed to wake him and say, could you help? Right, yeah. I want to know what they were saying. Well, I love hearing I love hearing these questions from you, Amy, because it shows that this is what true Bible study should do. It's you know we go to the Bible just seeking answers, but in many ways, study studying the Bible just causes more questions for us, right? And then hopefully we'll try to seek the answer by asking these more questions. Um, I'd love to talk to you afterwards about that too, because <laughs> it really is a, a profound um, illustration of who Jesus is. Um, Okay, let's try another one. And we're going to do this quick because I always end on time. Um, But I'm going to do a second framework, influence, bias, agenda that I think we as evangelical Christian women do this a lot because I do this a lot too. And that is when I approach the Bible, when I go to read it, the framework I bring is the Bible is about me. This, I'm going to read a text, and it's about me. I'm going to find something in it for me. What does this mean for me? That's the framework I'm bringing to it. So let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, which is just before Mark. So turn to the left. Turn, turn to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11 This story is about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan came to tempt Jesus, trying to get him to sin, to turn against God. And as I read this aloud, I want us to think about it again the wrong way, putting on glasses that say, this is about me. This, this, I I need a word for me. Not just positive encouraging. I just need a word. That's all I need is a word for me. What does this say about me? Okay. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me and Jesus said to him be gone Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve then the devil left him and behold angels came and were ministering to him all right I have decided to read through the gospel of Matthew my devotions every morning and I get to this story in chapter four and I'm trying to figure out what does this mean for me How could I quickly, with my um, framework glasses on, look at this scripture and make it about me? What would I do with it? What would be some applications I would make? Memorize all the scripture because you never know what you're going to need to attack the devil with. That's good. I need to go through all my memory verses that I learned as a kid, or I need to catch up right now because that is going to be my secret weapon. When I'm faced with temptation, is my memory verses that I have. What's, it, what, what's another thing that we could do? Jesus was tempted by food, so he understands why I'm tempted by food. Help me with my diet, Lord. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. That's This is clearly what we can do with it. What's interesting about this text, why I chose it, is. Um, so who's the main character in this text? Jesus, Jesus is the main character. Who's the other character? Jesus. Satan, right. Um, most of the time, uh, well, I shouldn't say most of the time. All of the time in the scriptures, who's the main character? Jesus, God, depending on like exactly where we are. I mean, Jesus and the God are part of the Trinity, the Godhead. Um, If this text is about Jesus, and if the whole Bible is about Jesus, then when we come to scripture, I think instead of having the glasses on of this text is about me, it's actually the text is about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, that's in a sense it's kind of a framework but it's a good framework to have to look through um, the glasses of what does this text teach me about Jesus now if we were to flip that really quickly well we could come up with a whole bunch of other applications does anybody have something really quick that they could say about um, if I see this for what it truly is it true, like Jesus is the main character of this with Satan there trying to tempt him um, what do what, what you glean a, a main idea from that Anybody? I know we haven't had time to study this, so... He's the last Adam who resisted temptation like Eve did not. Yeah, he's the... Well, that's, you said it really well. He's the last Adam who resisted temptation like Eve did not. Or you could even connect this to the fact that Jesus was led into the wilderness. Um, there was other people that were led into the wilderness, God's people, Israel, who did not... Um, face temptation well, but Jesus did. So Jesus is the one who can face every temptation unlike his people can. Um, Well, there's a lot more we can glean versus just holding on to memory versus or talking about our diet, (laughs) right? Um, Yeah, when it comes to frameworks, we need to recognize we have them and then we need to, as much as possible, put them in the drawer so that we can let the text speak And see that clearly above our frameworks. Any questions? Because I'm going to end our time. Well, actually, Shaina is going to come up and end our time. But any questions on this? Um, Frameworks are what they are. They're not all bad. You know, like, I'm a woman and that's a good thing. Or I'm whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, if it's a great right answer for all. Yeah, yeah. A of it yeah. A, yeah, I mean that is such a great question cuz these are this is why we're doing these training intensives because we just we want to know how to actually do it well. Um, but to your specific question, well what if I'm studying it with you and you know you have the holy spirit and I have the holy spirit and we're trying to figure out what it is? I would just argue we have the same spirit. There's one spirit. I mean 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. There's one spirit that is truly God, (laughs) the the triune God, the Holy Spirit, um, can, to both of us, give us the same answer. But it's our frameworks that want to shape that answer according to what we think, according to how we see it, how we see life. But I really, truly believe that the Spirit-intended main point of a passage is the same for anybody that would approach it. And actually, the next training thing in four weeks we're going to talk about how to fin- find the main point right of a passage um, yeah I really would argue that I think when we come to the scriptures we can't say what does this mean to me well oh it means this to me it means that to me it means that to you I really think we need to ask what does it mean just what does it mean and the same spirit in me and you and all of us can come to that as long as we put our frameworks away look at context stay on the line <laughs> right do you want to add no, no. okay it's really helpful though because I think this is a consistent thing that we're all wondering would you add that like sometimes our different personalities and gifts like another way of saying that maybe like our different personalities gifts experiences might help us notice different things that we could point out to one another absolutely whether that's actually what God means that's to so say. good in the text that's that right is like provable or findable by scripture yeah you know, I, I saw that today, so it made me think of such and such. But that might not be what God wants to say through that passage. Right. Even though it's worth saying sharing you know, yep. in general. Yeah. Yeah, the two things I would say when we're thinking about this idea of coming to, to letting the text shine itself is, one, we need to identify our frameworks, which I had you do with partners, right? We need to just know what, what are they so we can be aware of them. And then the second thing, the second strategy to really help you is to study the Bible with others. So that you're not just studying it on your own and saying, well, it means this to me and it means that to you. But if we put our heads together, yeah, we can correct one another. We can shape one, one another through, our, through faithful study. I need to end, though. We can talk more about this, though, afterwards if you want to. Shiny, do you want to come up? Do, and, then, and you can pray for us, too, at, at the very end if that's good. I don't know if you guys... What's that like?